0: We're in the middle of a series asking a bunch of questions about church and uh, I've been having fun, uh, I hope you have and today I'm hoping that we can just relax a little bit and just enjoy ourselves a little because uh, we're just going to talk about something that's a little awkward sometimes with people we could just laugh about it and we could be actually happy about things that are awkward instead of being awkward about awkward things um, you know, here we go again, you know, uh, tackle the hard questions, I said. So uh, here we go. We're, uh, we're doing singing in church. And the question today is, what's the deal with singing in church? Let's be honest. Who has ever felt weird about singing, communal singing in church? Put your hand up, be honest. Oh, come on, are you serious? Like two people out of the whole church. We should be singing a lot louder if that's the case. All right. Um, I have... I have many, many cringy memories of communal singing in church. All right? And it, this, is, this is something I would challenge you on. Some of you go, I, you have scars. I, I would say along the lines of Paul in Philippians 3, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So you could go, I have lots of cringy scars from singing in church, and I would say I probably have more. Now the church has not always done public singing well and let's all give thanks to Jesus for the kind of revival that's happened in public communal singing in the church. Um, Probably one of the leaders of that I think has been Hillsong. Um, You know, that's been good. The church has been awkward when it comes to uh, singing but let's just be honest and just say that Australian culture is like crazy awkward when it comes to public singing and really weird. Has anyone noticed that? Because it kind of pops up every now and then, but the rest of the time it's really kind of weird. Uh, I mean, look at Australians at a sporting event singing out, even the heroes singing out the Australian anthem, right? It's, it's pretty muted. Some of them don't sing it. Some sing loudly. And when a sports star sings loudly, they get all this press. Have you ever noticed that? Because they're really passionate about it. They've got their eyes closed. I mean, what is Advanced Australia Fair anyway? That's a weird... A weird line. Is anyone with me on that? Fair. Something you go and buy a deep ride feed Even the sports stars, when they get into it, they get a bit of, a, uh, bit of attention. Um, but here's the thing, even as they get attention and we laud the atten- them for what they've done, um, we don't want it to be us. We just don't want it to be us. We don't want that kind of attention that comes from actually singing something. Think about our, uh, what's on TV? Think about how many, basically all of, well, sorry, think about how many singing competitions there are. I mean, even X, X Factor, people can do other things, but it's mainly singing. You know, think about it. You've got X Factor, you've got The Voice. Back in the day, you had Australian Idol. It was a singing competition. And here's, here's the unwritten rule, I think, in Australian culture, is you can sing if you're really good, but you shouldn't if you're not. And I'm not even saying bad, I'm just saying anything less than really, really good, you just shouldn't sing. The only other time that singing is acceptable is if it's so bad that it's funny. And here's the bottom line, everyone likes to have a good laugh about it, but no one wants to be that person, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Uh, Here's an example of that. This is from uh, X Factor, you ready? What's today? Justin Bieber, baby. Empi, best of luck, enjoy yourself. This is your time. Show us your stuff. Thank you. you know what just happened there is we we got the whole spectrum we got this hope that she was going to be a great singer and then this shock that she was a really bad singer and everyone just going this is like the really awkward Australian thing and then all of a sudden we got that we're going to laugh at her now because she's so bad you see that Uh, fascinating who um be honest right in the last week you have to be honest not like the other time okay God God is here today and he can see whether you're telling the truth or not okay Put your hand up if, at any point in time over the last week, anywhere you have sung out loud. Come, be honest. Okay, all right. Who um who would uh, like to take a chance, take a risk on telling uh, telling everyone where you sang out loud? Yep, in calls. Excellent. I was thinking you had a red guitar and some sixty year old guy next next to you. Two more. Where did you sing? Coles? In the garden? garden. On the mower? (laughs) In the kitchen? In the bedroom? In your grandkids' house? Someone said in the car. Who said in the car? Yeah, cool. In the car. That's another one. Um, What was that? (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, We're not going to go into that. Now, singing in the car in particular is an interesting one, isn't it? You know, because you can, just think about singing in the car. T- tell me if this has ever happened to you, right? You've got the music on, you're singing along to this song, and then you look to the side and the person next to you is looking at you. What do you do? Well, most of the time you probably stop. Don't you? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You just kind of, you don't keep kind of belting it out like all of a sudden it's X Factor on the roads, do you? You, you kind of stop, which is a bit weird, right? Because they can't even hear you. But all of a sudden, someone's watching and, and you stop. And I wonder what's going on there. Well, let me tell you about another communal singing aberration, right? This is an unusual thing in Australian culture. And I, the first time I went to one of these, I just thought, this is weird. Like Australians are doing something that they should not do, that their culture says, right? So what I'm pointing out here is there's times that we sing communally that just kind of don't fit into Australian culture. And you know where it is? It's at an AFL game, isn't it? Because in case you don't know, at an AFL game, if your team wins, if you're not an AFL fan, if your team wins, they play the team song at the end. And everyone sings the team song together because they just had a victory. So here's the uh, Brisbane Lions team song, just because you asked. You ready? You can sing if you want to. You're not into it. Yeah, perhaps. In church, maybe, yeah. That's a more holy song, according to Sam. Is it? Like, seriously, if you go to the Gabba, and, and I'm sure a bunch of you have been, and the Lions win, you've just got like 30 to 35,000 people belt out this community singing song. And it's not weird. But in another sense, I go, it's just totally weird. I mean, I, I, I'm not an AFL guy by background, but uh, I, can, I appreciate the skill in it. And, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But the kind of songs that they have for their team songs, like they remind me of the kind of song you would have seen back in the early 1900s, you know, when the war movies came through, giving you a report about where things are up to. It's this, this deep-throated kind of male voice. Uh, classic, classic. Um, you know, Australia, when you go to uh, an AFL game, Australia, what the heck are you doing? That's kind of my question. It's like it just doesn't fit. But at the same time, it does fit. It's part of the... Tradition of AFL. Now, if we move on a little bit um, from that, you'll uh, you'll see that people have a fascination and a love of music. So the um, the IFPI is the um, International Federation of the Phonographic Industry. It re- represents the interests of 1,300 recording companies internationally. They did a research study. Uh, that was released in September of 2019 of 34,000 people across the world from ages 16 to 64 who listen to music to find out what their habits were. We love music. Let me give you some stats. People listen to music on average 18 hours per week, 2.6 hours per day. 54% of people surveyed described themselves, Australia was part of the survey, Sample: 54% described themselves as loving or fanatical about music. Only 2.5% said that music is unimportant to them. 89% of people used uh, streaming services to listen to their music. And 64% of people surveyed access to streaming service in the previous month. You know, we are totally into music. Humanity is totally into music. But it gets all weird when it comes to singing. Why does it get weird when it comes to singing? Uh, interesting question. And it, it, it can get weird in churches, right? Now, singing in churches can get weird. Uh, let me give you a few types of singers that you'll, uh, that you'll see or hear in churches. You, you'll get your loud singers. They're the ones that just kind of are above everyone else. They're the loudest ones. You get people who are hymn singers... Uh, who can who sing every song like it's a hymn. All right. True, right? Uh, in the, one of the churches I grew up in, we had someone who sounded like a cow. Um, I kid you not. And what he used to do is at the end of each line of the song, he'd put this harmony on the end of the line of the song. And my mate turned to me one day and he told me one of the dairy farmers in town had brought one of their cows to church. Um, and it kind of sounded a bit like a cow. It's like I'm just going to add a little bit of garnish on the end of this line. You've got your non-singers. We've got non-singers in the church here. Your mumbling singers, like sing but don't move your lips much. It's kind of like ventriloquist singers. Someone's singing but it's not actually me. You've got your lip sync singers, right? These, these are the people who just move in their lips but there's actually no sound coming out. Like, if we could mute everyone and the music, their lips would be moving and there would be no sound. You've got the harmonizers, the tone deaf singers. You've got the physically expressive singers. They're the ones that are kind of moving and maybe waving their hands. And some people even have banners that they run around with. You've got all sorts of singers in the church. Uh, let's, let's kick in and uh, drill down a little bit more. Singing in the Bible. Uh, I want you to know that there is a lot of singing in the Bible, a huge amount, Uh, probably almost since the creation of humanity, I think there's been singing. Uh, Genesis 1, I don't know whether you noticed, but Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are two different creation accounts, the first one is a poem and the second one is more historical. Um, You'll see that they don't exactly match up and that's because there's poetry going on in the first one. Uh, You can see the repetition in it. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 says, And God said, and there was, and it was good. And it's this refrain that happens. Tim Keller calls uh, Genesis chapter 1 the song of creation. You know, we move through Scripture and you just see song after song. You've got the Israelites in Egypt. God gets them out, uh, takes them through the Red Sea. All the Egyptians get killed. And what do they do? They write a song and they sing a song together. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I'll sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Um, now seriously, AFL fans, you'd be proud of these guys, right? They just had a big victory. What do you do? Well, you get together and you sing. That's what you do. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's great. Um, there's so many songs... In the Bible. You get to Judges 5. Deborah and Barak defeat the army of Sisera and then they sing a song together. Um, when David and Saul return from killing Goliath, the women of the city sing a song about them. Um, you get to the Book of Lamentations um, in the Old Testament and the Book of Lamentations. Um, so the Greek translation of the Old Testament was called the Septuagint. Okay? And they the Septuagint actually calls a lamentations, dirges. A lamentations is a dirge. Um, you know, the biggest collection of songs in the whole Bible is obviously the Psalms. 150 songs written about all sorts of things, lamenting things. There's royal songs in there. Uh, it's amazing. It was a songbook of the Old Testament. And this is Psalm 95, verse 1 to 3. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. You know, the word psalm actually means song or melody with words. That's what it means. And the, the psalms were the divinely inspired hymn book for the worship of God. And this is the go to text for us, right? You, you talk to people and you just go, what, what is the part of the Bible that people drift to uh, what, in one of the most uh, frequent ways? Uh, probably the book of Psalms. Um, even for people who don't go to church, who aren't Christians, they know probably some Psalms. I mean, you, you, most funerals uh, would have Psalm 23 floating around somewhere. People would have some kind of awareness. Of that, and I think one of the reasons why is because the, the Psalms are really, really personal. They're really um, there's kind of unvarnished truth about what it means to be human, and, and, and some some truth about who God is and how those two actually come together. Lots and lots of singing now doesn't stop there because you know something Jesus sang, and we think here at the project that anything Jesus does is a good thing to do. Is everyone with me? You Just go, OK, well, if he does something, it must be good." Well, Jesus sang. When did he sing? Well, uh, Matthew 26 verse 30, um, at, uh, after uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Who's they of the disciples and Jesus. Uh, it was traditional at the end of the Passover meal that you'd sing the halal uh, psalms, which are Psalms 113. 118, and, and it probably that's what they saying They probably sang some of those psalms in there. And then you get into uh, the book of Hebrews, where the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus being made uh, in His humanity, like His um, like His brothers, like uh, like us, in His humanity. This is what it says of Jesus: "I will tell of Your name to My brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing Your praise." Now, I, I think you can make a case for Jesus. We don't have time today, but I think you can make a case for Jesus being a worship leader, a singing worship leader. He's, he's taken the stand in front of his family and he's, he's singing of his father and he's calling everyone else to join him in that. It's amazing. We, we see all kinds of singing in the Bible. We see lament, confession songs, we see uh, love songs. I mean, the song of all songs <laughs> is the song of Solomon. It's a, it's a love song. Um, we see songs of adoration. We see songs proclaiming God's royalty. We see songs of victory. There's all kinds of songs. Lots of singing in the Bible. Here's point number two. God tells us to sing. He tells us to sing. And straight up, you should be going, well, it must be good. If God tells us to sing, it must be good to sing. Uh, Let me give you a few scriptures. Psalm 96, uh, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. You're meant to sing. This is Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 19. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with, with your heart. Let the word of Christ, this is Colossians 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here's, here's the kicker, God has told you to sing and not to just sing on your own. You should get together and sing. That's what you should do. That's what God's saying. Now, um, commentators suggest that what the early church used to do is sing antiphonally, which is where, those of you who have been in the church long enough, where you had, right, now this side sings this stanza and this one sings this one. That's antiphonally. Okay, that's where you do one, one, pers- one group does one bit and the other group does the other bit. So you think about the Psalms, There's Psalms where there is a refrain, the um, steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And they say a line and then they say that one and they say another line and they say that one. And there's, there's a bit of a suggestion there that what's actually happening, the kind of edification and encouragement that's happening is one side singing one bit and the other one sings it, sings it back to them, sings something back to them. They, they sing antiphonally. You know, and it's not just about the music either. It's about the words and the content, you know. And I'll tell you something. The <laughs> I, In a former life, I was a drummer, all right. And so I raged against any, not literally, but I raged against any music that used a drum machine because it put me out of a job, right, and I thought it was lame. And I still do. It's like, eh, pop music. Like I really couldn't care that much for it, you know. Like give me some musicians who can actually play. Like I often joke about how musicians today can play the keyboard and I'm not talking about the piano keyboard, the computer keyboard because they sit there and you can write songs using a program. And I just, I just hunger for musicians who can actually play. But i tell you something, the, um, the older I get, the more and more content matters to me that's in the song. And I'm, I'm listening to songs that don't have as good a musicianship because of the content because that's what it actually comes down to you know and i'm not i'm not saying and i think the church has been a bit lame at this sometimes but sometimes we've kind of made the excuse it's the content that matters and i just go well if you're going to write beautiful content you better have beautiful beautiful music true just wouldn't fit it wouldn't fit to have something that's beautiful and glorious and have music that's not beautiful and glorious you know, just because words are the critical piece doesn't mean that music can be boring. I remember hearing John Piper say years ago, and this applies to me as a preacher, like he's, he said, it, it's probably a sin to bore people with God. <laughs> it probably is. You know, there's... Music needs to say something. You know, you, you write a song, you need, you need to say something. And I think when you get together and you're singing songs that have got rich content in them, this room becomes like a pinball machine where the truth of God just ricochets around the place. You know, you can make people feel things by music, but we we want people to feel things that are connected to truth. You know, you you can listen to music. I remember, I won't go into the details, but there was this band that I, uh, that I really loved when I was a younger guy. And um, there you go, it's terrible I have to say that now. But uh, there was, when I was young, back in the day, um, there was a band I really loved and they put out this song that had like just not, not good lyrics, right? But, and this is, this is what is really ordinary sometimes is someone can write a ripper song and have terrible lyrics to it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you just go, I just want to listen to that. And I remember when I was younger, I just went, "Yeah, I, uh, I don't have to pay attention to those words. Um, I'll just listen to the music and sing along without the words having any effect. But that, that's just not even a thing. Like you, you just can't do that. And young people, listen to me this morning, you cannot do that. You cannot listen to a song and sing words of a song and not absorb some of the lyrics if you don't believe me. I believe the research studies that actually show that if you listen to sexually explicit music, you have sex younger, like it's out there. That's not not Christian research. That's just research that shows there's a connection between the lyrics and what people do. So we want to be the opposite of that. We want to have songs that have got good things in them and we want to sing about them and we want to be happy about it. Don't we? You're not convincing me. <laughs> sing with your whole heart. Be thankful. Sing together. Now, some of you, probably, if you're anything like me, because if I was sitting there listening to me, uh, I pity you. But if I, uh, if I was sitting there listening to me, one of the things that would be going on inside of me is there would be a little bit of rebel going on inside of me at this point Um, because i don't like being told what to do Um, i'd like to do my own thing and and i would say to god maybe not out loud you can't tell me to sing with my whole heart and maybe you just add a few more You'd, you'd say what if i don't feel like singing Psalm 96, Psalm 95, I mean we don't even have time to go through all the verses, that talk about singing and singing praise to God, Um, we've got these verses in the New Testament that are on the screen right now and and it's like don't just sing, don't just come and lip sync, sing with thankfulness with a whole heart. And now part of the way you might respond, some people have responded is, you can't tell me how to feel. Isn't it? Isn't that kind of something that we we think sometimes? We just go, well, I can do something, but you can't tell me how to feel. So if the scriptures say that you should sing joyfully to the Lord with a whole heart, it's like you can't tell me how to feel. You can't tell me to do that. Well, I've got news for you. Uh, God does tell you how to feel regularly. Okay? He just does. Um, and (laughs) there's judgment if you don't feel the right way about stuff. Because, you know, if you come to church on Sunday morning and you sing begrudgingly, like you're a grump, you're Oscar the Grouch when it comes to singing on a Sunday morning, you might mouth the words, but your attitude and your heart is telling God what you think about it, isn't it? It's, it's not just about going through the motions about something. It's a, you're actually telling God something about what you think of Him. So in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it's like the best off sermon of Moses before he dies. And he, he says, he's pronouncing these kind of curses and consequences that are going to come because of disobedience. And this is what you see in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47 to 48. I just want to show you this one. Uh, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. What's, what's the criticism in this particular verse? You weren't happy about it. You might have served, but you weren't actually happy about it. And what's God saying? I'm going to punish you because you weren't happy about serving me. Now, before, at this point you're, going, oh, Pete, you're uh, getting the arm twist going, right? Well, you know what God actually wants to bring about? God wants to bring about a happy, joyful spirit in you as you sing. And his spirit, if you love him, his spirit is in you. And you should expect that as you open your mouth and sing and you say to God, I'm pretty grumpy today, but I really just want to sing to you, that he's going to work in you to bring about the right emotions that fit what he's commanded you to have. That's what he's about. God never commands something that he's not going to actively be involved in bringing about. So if you struggle to have the right attitude, you should just open your mouth and start singing and sing with all your heart. Now, the reason why this is really important, and I'm I'm going to clarify the difference between hypocrisy and and singing when your heart's not quite in it, right? But here's here's the key. Um, Practice is a key way to shape your heart. So you don't kind of come in and you just go, oh, I'm not into it this morning. It's like one of the ways that you can actually get into it is by singing and through practice. I mean, there are, there's stuff all over the place in the scriptures, there's stuff all over the place in your life that if there's something in your life that you want to get to and you, you don't feel like getting there, one of the things you do is you just start doing it and then all of a sudden your heart's going to get there, your heart kind of catches up. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It does, right? So you, um, hypocrisy is when you, when you say, you pretend that you're one thing and you're actually another. Now, this happens regularly for me. I mean, it, it happened last year with most of the prayer and worship nights that we had where I came. It's like, you know, I'm just not really that pumped about it. But I'm going to talk to Jesus about not being pumped about it. I'm going to sing and I'm going to, I'm going to sing loud enough and just kind of put it out there and see if God will stir my heart with the truth of what I'm singing and the songs that I'm singing, even as I don't feel it being there at that point in time. You know, singing God's praise will remind you of His greatness and it's going to remind other people of His greatness too. Now, what's really important is, I'm going to show you a random video clip, right? But what's really important is that you come together and you sing together. That's really, really important. The scriptures are clear on that. So let me show you this random clip. This is, there's some lads from the church going to uh, Fraser Island in a few weeks. If you want to come, let one of us know. Uh, Josh or myself, um, not a church activity, but we're uh, going over to Fraser. And, uh, you know, this just fit in well with, uh, with uh, Fraser. So this is a bit of a recovery job on a beach somewhere. All right. Sing together. This is, this is the point. Yeah. What's the best bit about that clip? The guys laugh, right? Yeah, my boys and I have watched that a bit this week and you know what happens when you you listen to him laugh and he's like right into it. We're looking at each other, we're laughing, we're smiling. What's going on? Well, he's excited about something, thinks something is hilarious and all of a sudden everyone else is joining in. You know, you you probably laughed a little bit at what happened at the start and then you're probably laughing with him because you just go, that guy is so into it. That happens... Or that can happen when people sing, that kind of thing. And people just get into it and you just go, oh, I'm just going to get into it with you. I, um, I saw on Facebook uh, uh, sometime uh, this week, I can't remember when it was, but uh, someone made a comment along these kind of lines and this analogy is used quite a bit. When it comes to singing worship, Are you a thermometer or a thermostat worshiper. Um, a thermometer reflects the temperature of the room around it a uh, thermostat sets the temperature of the room around it. So when you, when you come to sing, are you like, eh, it's, just a, it's a bit lame this morning? Or do you just uh, you get right into it? All right. Three. Why sing? So there's lots of singing in the Bible. God tells us to sing. But God does better than just telling you to sing. He gives you good reasons why you should sing. Now here's... Here's the first and the biggest one. This is really straightforward uh, because God's great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You know, your worship and praise of God, particularly in song, this verse here is saying your praise ought to be in proportion to God's greatness. You see that? If He is really, really great, then your worship and your praise of Him ought to be really really great if if your singing is lame and i'm not talking about the quality i'm just talking about your effort if your singing is lame you don't think god is that great there you go straight out the shoot. if you don't sing with a whole heart to god you actually don't think that he's that great so I'd say to you that if you're a, uh, a mumbler or a lip sync singer, you need, you need to get a clearer view of who God is because you're just going to sing better. Um, now, the weird thing that happens sometimes when you get a group of people together is people get concerned about other people watching them when they sing or perhaps, like the worst could happen is the person next to them would actually hear your voice. Do you see how weird that is? with this verse because you could be standing there and we've all done this you could be standing there singing this song to God about him being great and we're more concerned about what the people around us are thinking of us than we think about God and by default like our actual practice is saying I think these people are greater than you do you get what I'm saying it's it's a weird thing now there is, let me just stick a caveat in here right, there is a consideration of others in the way that we sing. Now if you fancy yourself as a harmonizer but you can't do it, you probably shouldn't have a crack. Why? Not because it's bad for you but you actually want to do things that are going to be helpful and serve other people and help them to worship. And if I had someone standing next to me and they couldn't harmonize and they kept going for those notes, that would not be helping my worship at that point in time. It's one thing for someone not to be able to sing and them singing because that, I don't know about you, that stirs me up. When the, um, the two people that I spoke about earlier who probably have just got one note that they can sing, when they sing, I go, oh, now that's awesome. That truly is awesome. But there are times where you actually might want to be considerate of other people because here's the bottom line. If you are a bad singer and you are one of those people that only have one note, there are verses in the Bible for you. So Psalm 100 verse 1 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, okay? So make a noise, okay? Make a noise. Um, If we really think that God is great and He is greatest in our hearts, then we, we will sing regardless of what other people think. So here's the here's kicker. If you've got a problem with singing, you've got a problem with seeing the greatness of God. You've got to get that sorted. If you don't sing, then you don't know who God is. Because in the Bible, when people see who God is and they see Him really clearly, They sing. And they don't care about what other people think. They, sometimes in the Bible, they dance naked. Yeah, we're not doing that. They're not one of those Scottish churches. All right. But they do. We, we sing because God is great. And we want to sing in a way, we want to worship in a way that is proportional to God's greatness. Here's another reason why we need to sing. I think you need to sing because singing is really, really personal. It's about your whole person. It's, uh, it's about the mind, the will and the emotions all coming into play and it's a very, very personal activity. Now think about it for a moment. Singing is using the instrument, arguably the most pure instrument that God ever made. True? There's no additional piece of equipment and I, I, I actually think that's why... Uh, it feels like you're putting yourself out there so much when you sing right because it's like "Ah, it wasn't the guitar or the drums it was the drums I dropped one of the sticks it's like when you sing if you sing bad like it's like this is all I got I'm just like a shag on a rock you know those of you who have been here like you've heard Jaden sing a few times in his sermons isn't it and it was like when he did it the first time, I was just kind of like ducking a little bit. It's like I feel like I need to take cover somewhere. He can sing, but what is it? He's, he sang some things in a, in a sermon. There was no musical backing, and it was just he was out there, wasn't he? And, and that, that's the reality, I think, with singing a lot, is you're just out there a lot more. Um, you know, there's a, there's a sense that when you put yourself out there like that, there's something bad is going to happen. It's precarious because it's so personal. But the Scriptures tell us, don't they? Uh, Psalm 96 verse 1, Sing unto the Lord a new song. In a very personal way. And engages all of a person. Um... I was reading Harold Best. He wrote a book on uh, the uh, the arts and and worship. I was reading him this week. He talked about Psalm 96 verse 1. Uh, He said that every single thing that you do in the arts is first and foremost for the Lord. So Scripture, uh, Psalm 96 verse 1, singing to the Lord a new song. Uh, You sing. (laughs) That's the first thing you need to do. And then you need to realize that you're singing to the Lord. Um, and then the third thing that he actually talked about there is um, he said sing a new song and he said you you can't sing you can only sing a new song once (laughs) and then it's not a new song anymore so he said what what is this scripture actually talking about about singing a new song and one of the things he suggests is he says uh, the psalmist is saying you need to sing songs newly and what he's talking about is he goes uh, singing is an act of faith so when you come to church and you have a song up the front and we've sung it 25 times in the last two and a half weeks um, it's going to be a test for you right and the test is going to be can I engage my faith in what's going on here or, I, or do I am I relying upon a different tune to help me to engage with the content of this song um, and what we do with Um, Worship in churches is interesting sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes, I think if you're a musician, you know that there are times that you can play the right thing or do the right dynamic and engender a particular type of response. And uh, it doesn't always mean that God's presence is real and actually happening in the place. It could mean that the musicians are actually manipulating, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but they're actually playing and manipulating the music in a way that stirs up a particular type of emotion in people, um, you know. In, in a sense, and I don't want to be hardcore, hardcore about this because I think there's some tensions in there. Our response to God in in singing worship <laughs> needs to be similar to the response that we have to God when the worship music's not on, isn't it? Like you don't. This would be weird, right? But you don't have to, but there are some churches when someone's preaching that will make almost as much noise when the preacher's preaching as they would in the worship set. They might even put their hands up, they might even clap, I'm just, I'm just believing that you're clapping on the inside. <laughs> you now we've got to think about that, you know, that, that we need to make sure that we're personally engaging with it and that it's not just... Um, we're coming to some kind of context where there's this uh, nice music going on that stirs something up and then we walk out and we're different again that that is not the kind of singing worship that God is gunning for for us he wants he wants more than that I was uh, watching an interview a uh, conversation between uh, Eugene Peterson who translated the message and Bono uh the uh, lead singer of U2 and uh, you that's worth watching just look it up on YouTube just type their names in um Bono uh, just made this comment this is a bit of a paraphrase he said uh, um, that the raw honesty of the Psalms is really important because the only way we can approach God is if we are honest Um, and he actually makes the comment that art is essential not decorative so he's making the point that if uh, you know art is essential for us to communicate who we are to God and to hear from God himself all right i have got to skip on his uh Second last reason why you should sing, uh, worship completes enjoyment. Here's the bottom line, we are worshippers by nature, we worship unceasingly, we we are always orient our lives around something, minute by minute during the day. We were made to behold something great, you know, and we were made to find enjoyment in beholding something great. Now God does not call people to worship and to praise Him because He's insecure, um, c.s lewis talks about how he got mistaken uh, a little that he kind of it felt to him like god was like a vain woman who needed compliments to feel good about herself um, lewis actually says that uh, that god calls us to worship because we actually do it with everything else that we love just read through this quote for me but the most obvious fact about praise whether of god or anything strangely escaped me i thought of it in terms of compliment approval or the giving of honor i had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless sometimes even if shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poem, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, Countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, and even sometimes politicians or scholars. I think we delight to praise, listen to Lewis, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. They are. The delight is incomplete till it it is expressed. So when you come together to corporately worship, this is all about completing your enjoyment. That's what it's about. Uh, Lewis goes on to say this. He says, it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to men. So get amongst it. This will actually be really, really good. You should sing, you should sing loud, and you should give yourself to God. It's going to be part of your enjoyment of God. Here's where I'm going to finish. The last reason I want to give, I think there's more reasons than this, but here's the last reason I want to give, is we have good things to sing about. Don't we? We have good things to sing about. Let me give you one scripture that gives you some good things to sing about. Colossians 2 verse 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Dead, alive. I don't know, you can sing about that. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. You can sing about that. Like if you've offended someone and you haven't done what they told you to do and you're in trouble and you get forgiven. Yeah, you can sing about that. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. This is through the Red Sea par excellence, isn't it? This is like, pff, blows everything else off the mat. You talk about freedom, talk about restoration, you talk about freedom from slavery, getting out of trouble, mercy, grace. I mean, you could just go through that and find so many things. And if they sang a song when they got through the uh, Red Sea and God took out their enemies, oh, we could sing a better one, couldn't we? We could sing a better one than that. We have lots and lots of good things to sing about. Now, I want to finish with two really quick caveats, all right? Qualifiers. Um, raising hands or doing physical things in worship. I'm a blues supporter. And uh, I don't like people who go for Queensland at at origin time when the game's being played. Okay, I I love you all. But uh, when it's happening... And I I remember, I have been... There's probably no more precarious place to go than uh, um, Lang Park, Suncorp Stadium, as a blues supporter... Okay, I've seen lots of mistreatment of uh, blue supporters at Lang Park and there's lots of Queenslanders here just going, well, they deserve it. They're just wearing the wrong co- colour. Uh, but I'll tell you something, um, the safest time at a, uh, at a State of Origin game to cheer when you're a blue supporter if you're at Suncorp Stadium is like about half a second after New South Wales just scored. All right? What am I doing? <laughs> I've got my hands in the air. I'm turning around and looking at the crowd. I didn't do anything. I just sat there. Do you get what I'm saying? But my guys went in. My guys. Why, why, why would we not have our whole bodies involved in the worship of God? Why, why wouldn't we? Like why, I mean, it's only a cultural thing. I mean, you go, it, it has happened here that we've sung songs about lifting hands and there's a bunch of you who haven't lifted your hands. Now, is that a rule? Not necessarily, but does it talk a lot in the Bible about raising hands in worship? Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. And there's probably a level at which if you're more concerned about what other people think of you, your idea of God's greatness needs to be stirred up a bit more. Psalm 141 verse 2, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. This was the, deal, this was the thing that broke it for me because I... Never used to raise my hands in worship, ever. And I, would, I was one of those that sang the songs and never did anything physical. It's like, it's like just get the duct tape down and tape them down because I don't even want to. And in case someone else grabs my arm and sticks it up or something, it's just—I'm just I'm just going to just strap me down, right? But this was, a, this was a thing that changed it for me, Psalm 141 verse 2, because the Scriptures draw a link between offering a sacrifice to God and the lifting up of your hands. So here's, here's one way that you could do the lifting up of your hands. You could say, God, I offer myself to you as a sacrifice. I'm yours. And lots of other things. Because I don't think it's unbiblical to put your hands up like that at a state of origin game. And you could just do that at church if you wanted to. Because the news we have is better than a, a blues win. Is anyone with me? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Especially after eight years of just getting ground into the, into the dirt. That was a sweet win. It's still better than that. It's way better. Here's, uh, here's the last one. Um, you know, we, we could do a bunch of stuff with our hands. We can reach our hands out. and like I think we could be a little bit more physical in the things that we do around the place. Not inappropriately, but we could be more physical. Here's the other one. Um, you, you could just clap if you want to. I remember going to a church when I was young and I thought this was the weirdest thing ever that someone said, let's give God a clap. And I was go, well, that, that's just really weird. Like, no, let's not give God a clap. And, and then, you know, I've thought about it ever since because they call it a clap offering. You know, a stick offering on it, you can get away with anything really. Um, a wave offering, you know, wave to God. Um, well, why do, you, why do we clap people? well we appreciate people and we honor them and we thank them Uh, it's maybe it's a little weird because you can't physically see them but God's here and uh I don't know you could clap if you want to clap you want to that would be culturally appropriate probably more than putting your hands up you could you could clap God